Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Fright Rags. Now in their 19th year, Fright Rags has been bringing you the best in horror apparel and accessories since 2003, offering a wide range of products from your favorite creature features, slasher flicks, and cult classics. Just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, Fright Rags is making a splash with their all-new Jaws collection. This time, they're focusing on the sequels with shirts from Jaws 2, Jaws 3D, and yes, even Jaws the Revenge. All officially licensed and available now at fright-rags.com. Colors of the Dark listeners get 10% off when they use the code COLORSOFTHEDARK2022 at checkout. That is the code COLORSOFTHEDARK2022 at checkout at fright-rags.com. Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is also brought to you by Severn Films. From Severn Films and Kayla Jeunesse comes House of Psychotic Women Rarities Collection, featuring four long, unseen explorations of female madness. Elizabeth Taylor in Identikit, the Polish horror comedy I Like Bats, the 1975 Giallo Footprints, and 1972's Harrowing the Other Side of the Underneath. Each Blu-ray has been restored from original elements with hours of special features. House of Psychotic Women Rarities Collection. Available now at severinfilms.com. Hello and welcome to Colors of the Dark. I am your co-host, Dr. Rebecca McKendry. I hope everyone is having an absolutely fantastic summer. I have been traveling cross-country in an RV, um, getting to Virginia, and I've been here in Virginia for um, about a week now and, and doing all types of fantastic stuff. I am headed up to Montreal tonight, actually, to premiere my new film, Glorious, at the Fantasia Film Festival. And then headed back cross-country in the camper. So it has been a hell of an adventure so far this summer. Elric will be back with us guaranteed next episode. He is still wrapping up his film. He has three days left on it. And so he had planned to come back this week, but unfortunately didn't quite make it. So it's me solo for this first part, but we have an amazing um, duo of guys coming in for our interview session discussing one of my all-time favorite topics, shark exploitation. So we're going to dive in deep on shark exploitation with Steven Scarlatta and Josh Miller in just a bit. And I am super excited to get into the history of all things shark related. Feels good. It feels good for summer. In the meantime, while I have been here in Virginia, um, just kind of hanging out, this is definitely my vacation time. I've been watching a bunch of stuff, reading a bunch of stuff as well that I'll discuss in a sec, but even more so, I've been playing video games, which is really fun because it's not something that I usually get to do um, just because of my work schedule, but I've been playing a ton of what I'll call kind of adolescent horror games with my son. So like Baby in Yellow, Poppy's Playtime. These have been so much fun. So I hope that you guys um, are, are definitely checking out some of the newer horror video games that are coming out for the web. But I have to say the one that has really struck me that I have found myself honestly kind of addicted to is Subnautica. And Subnautica, it is like Minecraft, but you're underwater on an alien planet where you're you're kind of stuck there and you're trying to mine materials and get materials together to get yourself off the alien planet. 
But this just hits my love of aliens. It hits my love of aquatic horror. It's really cool. The monsters in Subnautica are super tight, and it's just an absolutely gorgeous game. This has been out for a while. I'm by no means new to, um, you know, hitting the table at, right at the release for this one. It's been out for a stretch, but it has just taken me and has really kind of defined my evenings for the past uh, couple of weeks as I've really enjoyed playing it. So definitely check out Subnautica. Okay, so my recent uh, reads, I'm going to start with my graphic novels this week. So I have been reading one called Geiger, um, which I had not uh, been, like, usually I pay attention as things are releasing, but this has been coming out for a while now, and I hadn't really noticed it until one of our listeners tweeted at me and was like, oh my gosh, you got to check out Geiger. And this one is from Image uh, Comics. It in I read the graphic novel collection, which I have to recommend because it worked really well reading it consecutively. There are certain comics that I really like to read week to week or month to month, however they're coming out. But then there are other ones that I find a lot of enjoyment reading them more as a collection because I can really sit down and get engaged in it. And this was definitely one of those where I found it to be just a really captivating read just to sit down for a couple of hours and read the first six issues back to back. Um, So the graphic novel collection for Geiger... um, The writer is Jeff Johns and the artist is Gary Frank, who are both legendary. This one, it's set in this post-apocalyptic wasteland. So it's after a nuclear attack. Like, it's it's post-nuclear holocaust. And everyone who is there cannot go outside without, like, full suits on to protect themselves against the radiation. And it's basically like a Mad Max-style environment, like wasteland, where everybody is broken into factions. There's the organ people and the nightcrawlers, and there's all these different factions, and they're warring with each other, and they're stealing supplies from each other. But every single one of them is scared to death of this man that they view as like a phantom. And it is the legend is that he doesn't need a suit when he goes out. He doesn't need a suit and he glows this bright green nuclear color. And everyone in the world calls him the meltdown man. But you come to know him as Geiger. And he is protecting this fallout shelter in the desert. And at the same time, he's he's kind of in between all of these wars of these different factions who see him somehow as like a rival who, you know, he's killed certain people trying to protect this fallout shelter. It is a really cool birth of a folk legend or even like a horror superhero because he really does have superpowers in this otherworldly Mad Max style environment. It's got a fallout feel to it as well where it is this post-apocalyptic environment. I can't say that this one is super horror. It's more kind of the stand-ish, but I've really enjoyed it and it definitely touches on horror moments. Again, it's kind of Mad Maxy in the stand, so it really does have this... Uh, post-apocalyptic world, but with this incredible birth of this phantom mythos. And so this has been an absolutely fantastic read. I finished this in two days and just really enjoyed it. So I recommend finding Geiger and checking this one out. Um, Feels unlike anything I've ever read before, to be honest. This was definitely a unique story for me. Okay, 
So let's get into evil. So as you guys know, I have absolutely loved the first two seasons of evil. I was so excited. They have a third one coming and I have completely caught up on the third season because it started while I was up in Canada shooting and I couldn't uh, get it. And so now I have binged the entire season up to this point. I love this show so much. Um, I'm not, I will say, I have things about this season that are not as satisfying as the prior two seasons have been. Specifically that the episodes kind of seem like they just drift off, like they don't really have endings. And that's a lot of the evil episodes did not have endings during the first two seasons. They kind of and ended ambiguously. Um, for those of you all who don't remember or have not checked out the show yet, it's basically like X-Files for weird supernatural religious phenomenon. It is a priest a um, psychologist and a kind of like tech guru who have been put together as this like investigative team by the church to investigate religious and supernatural phenomena to see if it could actually be um, godly interventions, angels or demons. And so they're they're investigating it very much in an X-Files style where one of them is a believer and then one is a very much a non-believer and then one um, is kind of in the middle and doesn't know how she feels. And so it's fascinating and it really does this have this X-Files kind of monster or haunting of the weak quality to it. In the prior seasons, the episodes definitely had this ambiguous ending a lot of the time where it never really clearly told you whether it is just something of our world, something that is not supernatural, or is it something supernatural? But in this season, they're not even necessarily doing that a lot of the time. That said, I have absolutely loved some of the focal points of this season so far. They did demons on TikTok. They did a Haunted Road episode, which may be my favorite so far. Um, they did one on sex counseling. They did this really cool Slenderman-esque legend called Visiting Jack, who um, kind of haunts people through Google Maps. And so they've done some really creative stuff. It feels like the actual plots, the way that they're structuring out the episodes themselves is changing a bit. But that said, I'm kind of rolling with it because I'm loving the topics that they are discussing so much. So if you guys have not seen Evil yet, this is still one that I really recommend catching up on, especially if you were a fan of X-Files or even the TV show Supernatural. It really has tones of both of those where it is this kind of investigative show um, with a new monster and haunting each week. I believe season one may be on Netflix. It was for a while. If not, seasons one through three are all on Paramount Plus. So that's definitely worth checking out. Okay, on to my next streaming masterpiece. Um, I saw that Pieces from 1982 was streaming on Shudder, and I had not seen this movie in forever, so I was like, why the hell not? I'm watching Pieces. It is a brisk 87 minutes long, and it definitely keeps you awake. Like, this movie is just a wild adventure. This is John Piquet Simon, who I have loved much of his work. Slugs is, is one of my faves, of course. The Rift, which is this wild underwater aquatic horror that came out, like, 1990. It was right after our big aquatic horror boom, but it's got really cool monsters in it. It's um, a group of explorers going into a cave underwater, and it's just got really tight creature effects. And then Cthulhu Mansion, which is not that exciting. It's definitely got some some middling points, but you know, it was very much like 1980s big hair doing Lovecraft, and I will always applaud it for that. I can't always say that Jean-Pierre Simon is a great filmmaker, but somehow his films for me 
are always ridiculously watchable. There is always something in them that's going to keep me going, well, this is bonkers enough that I can't turn it off. And that is also how Pieces is. Pieces is by far his most bonkers work, and it is fucking wild. Um, Pieces became most well-known during the 1980s for the absolutely wild taglines. It had two of them, and both of them are so tight. The first one, you don't have to go to Texas for the Chainsaw Massacre. And then the second one, which has become legendary, Pieces, it's exactly what you think it is. And Pieces became known as this incredibly brutal film. I would be surprised if it wasn't on the video nasties list. I'm fairly sure it was. It's just known for this heavy, over-the-top gore mixed with these absolutely bonkers scenes. And the bulk of the movie is structured around murder set pieces. We get a cold open with a killer kid that we don't really know much too much about. We know that he kills his mom. And then it shifts to girls on a college campus. And one by one, they are slowly being picked off in this absolutely brutal fashions where the killer is killing them and then stealing body parts, taking an arm, a leg, a torso, a head, leading up to him taking the entire lower half of a girl. And so what is he doing with these body parts? Why does he need all these different body parts from all these different women? What is the motivation? We don't know. And so the cops make the oddball decision to bring in a tennis star turned undercover cop played by Linda Day to try to infiltrate the campus to figure out who the killer might be. And of course, the movie sets up all of these different red herrings of, is it the groundskeeper? Is it the creepy president of the university? Is it this weird professor who seems to ogle his young female students? We get all of these different versions of who the killer might be. This one is just absolutely wild. And I have to say, the ending of this movie is just two back-to-back twists that make my jaw drop every single time I watch this one. I don't even necessarily understand what is happening in that final twist, but it is just fucking epic. I will warn you in advance, this film is not politically correct. That part of it has aged horribly. There are definitely some cringy moments during this movie. Um, it, it feels some of these killings definitely feel a bit misogynistic. It's exploiting women across the board. And for some reason, the university has a kung fu instructor and in possibly one of the cringiest scenes from this early 1980s. Um, but that said, this is very much a product of his time. And it's a fascinating one. Just super outrageous score and just a, a great example of campy cult exploitation classic. Um, the type of films that will never be made again, probably for good reason. But It's still just a fascinating look back to see it. Again, bonkers, gory, just wild, off the rails, what the fuck is happening, hilarious moments. I don't know if this film is good, but it is a hell of a watch. So that is Pieces from 1982. Definitely check it out while it is streaming on Shudder. Which brings me to the last film I will discuss before we get into our interviews for the night. The Reef Stalked. So The Reef Stalked, it's brand new. And this is not a sequel to The Reef. It's just kind of in the same franchise. It's in the same world. And it's the same director. It's Andrew Trocky. I'm probably saying his name wrong. But um, Andrew also did Blackwater, which is one of my all-time favorite crocodile movies. I will watch anything he does that involves, like, creatures under the water. Um this the original one the reef came out in 2010 and this was definitely right after we had open water and we were really hot for sharks at the time 
And the first one is very much kind of more about endurance. It's about realism. It's got kind of the same setup of open water where it's a group of people who have been trapped there and they're stuck in the water as they're slowly being picked off by sharks. And it's very much, much like open water, seems to be more like an endurance one. This one has a far more fictionalized structured plot and a lot more characters to it. So after um, her sister gets murdered, this one young girl and her two friends decide to go to this island, this Pacific island, to go on a kayaking trip. And they are kayaking from one island to another when they start getting stalked by this great white shark. And so then it becomes a group of women who are pretty fucking badass, I have to say. Like, it's not like, oh my god, what are we going to do, shark? Like, they are badass people trying to figure shit out for themselves, um, stuck on kayaks in the middle of the ocean as this shark is stalking them. Um, I kind of love the setup for this. Like, where anything that you can put people on to get them stalked by sharks, I'm kind of there. Um, but the big thing is that they end up making it to this really desolate island. One of the girls gets attacked, is bleeding out, and then they have to figure out a way to get from that island back to the main island to get help. So it's crossing this massive stretch of ocean with just kayaks while this shark is attacking them and trying to knock over their boats. This is an absolutely silly setup, but I have to say there was something decent about this movie. And I will say, this is not for everyone. I will reserve this film for the shark enthusiasts. And you know who you are. You are the ones who will watch everything with a shark in it. As far as shark movies go, and I watch a lot of them, this is pretty tight and had some really decent jump scares. It's got some good suspense moments with the shark. Kind of silly, but there was something that definitely kept me pushing forward in this. It's fun. It's unbelievable. It's absolutely outrageous, but it did have some really fun shark sequences and really fun jump scares. So um, with that, I am always, this is one of my favorite things to do during the summer is to revisit all of the shark exploitation films, to dive back in and go through the entire history of shark exploitation. So we are going to bring in our guests, Josh Miller and Steven Scarlatta. First, if um, Elric and I did get together to record a Deep Cuts episode on our Patreon show last night. So that is currently up on our Patreon. If you uh, want to hear us together for a little bit, you can definitely find us over there. And Elric will be back with me next episode. And then from there, we're back with the show as usual. So thank you guys for sticking with us during our summer breaks while we both go off and make movies, but we are excited to get back together. And in the meantime, I am excited to discuss some sharks. Tonight's episode of Colors of the Dark is brought to you by Athletic Greens and their nutrition drink, AG1, a product that Elric and I have been taking every day. After months of being in quarantine, Elric and I both wanted to improve our health in the new year. So we decided to try Athletic Greens. It's a health supplement that actually tastes great and really boosts your energy. Plus, it's from New Zealand, which Elric loves. So what is AG1? Uh, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, all those things. I started taking mine daily right before my breakfast um, and before I started in with the coffee. So it became this thing that I was looking forward to as soon as I got up in the morning. It lets me know that I'm getting the nutrients I need. And after trying to sh choke down an assortment of homemade kale and quinoa smoothies I was making, I got to say the taste of this is great. It's got this wonderful lemon flavor. 
And it's lifestyle friendly, whether you are keto, vegan, dairy-free, paleo, or gluten-free. As you guys know, I have crazy food allergies, and it is free from all of the eight major allergens, which I was really impressed with. AG1, it's a small micro habit with big benefits, and it costs less than $3 a day, so way cheaper than the cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. I take it like 30 minutes before coffee, and it actually has given me a little boost of energy, which has been great. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash C-O-T-D to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited about our topic and our guest tonight. So as you all know, um, one of my absolute favorite subgenres of horror is aquatic horror, and within that, shark exploitation. And so I am so excited to welcome, um, not back to this show, but they've definitely been on prior podcasts in some capacity, Josh Miller and Steven Scarlatta. Welcome to the show, guys. How are we doing tonight? Pretty good. Can't complain. Yes. Excellent. This is the voice of Josh, I should say, so people can <laughs> distinguish us. So um, I, these gentlemen share just as much passion for weird shark movies as I do, to the point that they are making a documentary about the wild, wonderful world of shark exploitation and the mad history behind it. Um, so I was <laughs> excited to bring you guys on to dive into the history of shark exploitation and, and get kind of some gems, some deep cuts. But I want to start with why sharks? Why is it that these movies hit with you guys? What is it about the shark movies that you guys find so fascinating? Uh, I mean, I can lead off or Steve, do you want to? Yeah, you could lead off. Totally. Go uh, for me, much in the way you have a fascination with aquatic horror. I've always really just loved killer animal movies, which I think there's a lot of, if you want to get really philosophical about it, I mean, uh, there's actually a great book I read years ago called Monsters of God, which is all about man's relationship with animals that eat people. Um, <laughs> uh, it, I mean, this is a very straight book, uh, but it, 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 I just think it's, it's interesting. Something psychologically interesting about, you know, uh, a movie about a serial killer in suburbs has one vibe, but if it's the exact same setting and there's just a killer lion that escaped from the zoo, you know, it has a whole other vibe. Um, and I, then, I would, I'd watch that movie, by the way. Oh, yeah. I, I, I will totally fucking watch that movie. I mean, I could go on a whole killer animals episode just on my own. But um, but sharks, I think uh, for me, like I had tubes in my ears twice when I was a kid, which people don't. I don't know if they still do that to kids, but that I had bad ear infections. So I had tubes put in, uh, which are like almost microscopic and you can't feel them. But you also aren't supposed to really submerge your head, which meant mm -hmm. I couldn't didn't learn to swim until I was in like fifth grade. And I think that combined with the fact that like everybody my age, I was obsessed with jaws. I think 
just made made the water seem you know i, I was the classic kind of kid was almost scared to go in pools because i'm like there's gonna be a shark in the <laughs> pool somehow uh and and the idea of not being able to like see beneath you mm-hmm. all the basic psychological stuff steve how about you uh yeah i mean probably like a, a lot of people listening and for you um jaws was like the gateway dr- drug in a way it it was like uh, i saw it on the re-release and it was before cable my dad would just come home from work and grab me and we'd just go to the mall and go see it we, we saw it a few times in the theaters <laughs> nice yeah and, I, yeah and so and i just became obsessed with it i kept drawing fins all over like that like paper and school and yeah and like i just couldn't get enough of it and i guess i was chasing that high i need to see whatever movie has a shark in it or or aquatic theme i just got really into it and you know going through the tv guide and then like oh my god channel 9 11 30 up from the depths what is this and staying up to watch it you know but there wasn't that many growing up so it was like that's very what i was special. gonna say and i'm sure becca you feel the same about just aquatic horror in general it's kind of the same reason that i used to love like werewolf movies so much when i was a yeah. kid was in part because <laughs> there wasn't a lot of them Completely. So you were just kind of happy for anyone you got. And it was almost that collector vibe, right? Where it actually wasn't that hard to see all of them uh, versus like, it's going to be hard if you want to watch all 200 plus Dracula movies, let alone yes. however many vampire <laughs> movies there are. Uh, it wasn't that. Well, as it turned out, once I got to the internet and realized how many shark movies existed that I didn't even know about as a kid. But as far as as a kid, the few shark movies they had at, my dumb video stores growing up in Minnesota. I was like, I can rent all four of these, you know? Yes. And I did. Um, now, did either of you guys grow up on the water? Minnesota's a, uh, well, the, we're the land of 10,000 lakes. So oh, yeah. uh, no sharks, but that didn't stop me from being scared that there would be sharks in the lakes. So that was uh, but- my question. Yeah. Like I grew up on the Shenandoah river and it was like seven feet straight off our dock and um, pure silt, like all of the rivers in Virginia are pure, pure silt. So like you could jump in and you couldn't see your feet dangling beneath you. And there were always sharks in the water for me. Like it, I got to the point where I could swim there and be like, yeah, I'm happy. Thanks mom and dad. This is awesome. <laughs> and the whole time I'm just like, there's a fucking shark. I know it what what age becca for you because like i think another thing with sharks too was i just and probably why i liked killer animal movies anyways i was that kind of like kid who loved like animals and going to the Mm -hmm. zoo and just animal books and i think liking sharks is like a little kid i think there's also just something they seem like cool dinosaurs and they're like mysterious and combining that with just liking movies but you know i was always really fascinated by like the stories of like the jersey shore shark attacks back in the early 20th century where a bull shark swam up a river and attacked a bunch of people and there was the knowledge that i was like wait that can happen maybe a shark could get into a lake in right somehow And we had, um, and I've talked about it on the show before, we have Alligator Gar in the Shenandoah River where I grew up. And they're enormous. They're creepy. They're huge and they've got these massive teeth and they don't do anything. Like there's never been a single reported report of an Alligator Gar actually biting anybody. But you still, you see them under the water and they're like four feet with these massive teeth. And for me as a kid, it may as well have been a shark yeah, um, that was in there. Yeah, yeah. No matter how many times my dad was like, they're not going to hurt you. They will bolt as soon as your foot hits the water. And it's true. They do. They just don't like people. Uh, in Minnesota, um, we have a fish called a muskie, which is one of the largest 
freshwater fish. Um, I think it's like a type of pike or something, but that was the same thing where it was like, you know, you'd see them mounted on people's walls and they're like, geez, these are fucking huge. <laughs> My dad, I was like, they don't like bite people though. But like 10 years ago, one attacked a kid in Minnesota. <laughs> you know, it didn't like kill him. But I was like, I'm glad that didn't happen when I was a kid. Cause uh, that would have really defeated my trust in my dad's understanding of muskies that's a pike our type of pike there's a great movie Uh, um uh blood lake i think that's what it's called it's not a killer shark movie but it's set in wisconsin and it's all it's centering around a musky like fishing festival uh i think it's called blood lake wow now i have to find this one now have you guys seen Psycho Pike? Yeah, so I was about to bring that one Oh, up. shit. So, Psycho, Psycho Pike, Pike was yeah. actually made by the guy who was my graphic designer on Elevator Game, the movie I just finished. He was one of oh, the no main way. producers. He gave me an original lobby card from Psycho Pike that I planned to frame. I was so oh, proud nice. of that. Nice. And if you look very closely when the film comes out, there's a Psycho Pike poster hanging up somewhere in the background of the film. So. Uh, just a correction, since I'm sure you're... Uh, extra nerdy listeners out there were screaming the proper name of the movie I was trying to talk about. It's called blood hook. Blood hook. Oh shit. Oh, yeah. I know the cover immediately. Cover, the girl in a bikini with oh, like yeah. a bobber and hook around her. Yeah. Oh, that's and what so that's, that's about, about muskies. I always, assume no, it's not a, sorry. I thought I, I thought I said it. it's not about muskies. It's a slasher movie, but it's set at during a musky fishing festival. Yeah. I was going to say, it looked like a, a, a killer fisherman movie. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, I always thought. No, that's 100% <laughs> what it is, but I'm okay. just saying it's about, and there's like a giant, they shot it in a real town that has a giant fiberglass musky that they clearly <sighs> wanted to feature <laughs> okay well um now uh, w- steven did you grow up on the water in any capacity uh, well n- my dad was a na- was a navy guy so he had a oh. boat, so he bought a he had a boat and we'd go out on you know twice a week on the boat and so i was very then you definitely did i mean you technically yes. grew up on an island steve yeah long island yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah i was You're always never at- more than like 10 miles from the water there so yes but it's uh, yeah as Chief Brody told us, it's only an island if you look at it from the water, right? Yeah, it was quite. I mean, I lived in the water. I loved it. Um, as I, I, to be honest, I have I don't go in the water really anymore. I'm scared of it, but as a kid, I, I you couldn't get me out of it. You know, I well, loved it, and I would fish and all that stuff. I can't fish anymore. I'm too sensitive to hurting any type of animal. But, but when I was, oh my a god, kid, me I too. Was, yeah, I can't. No, I can't. As soon as and and we tried taking my son fishing during the pandemic because he really wanted to go. And as soon as I pull it out of the water and I see it like flopping around on the deck, dying, I was like, "We're not going to eat this. I I can't yeah. even do this." So yeah, you like I've, I've become such just throw it back. Just yeah. kills me. Yeah, barbless um, hooks, and we're just putting it back. But um, that brings <laughs> me to my next question. Now, being shark fans and having kind of grown up on the water with the fear of Jaws, do you guys suffer like when you're in the ocean now? Do you have thalassophobia? or any fears about what's in the water with you yeah i mean i feel like it's inevitable my wife and i just went snorkeling in hawaii and saw two sharks which was definitely like uh like forcing myself to be cool because you know if your brain's working right i'm like the shark's not gonna do anything i'm as big as it it can't possibly think it should eat me um that's just not how animals usually work and it didn't do anything and it was like 25 feet below us but nonetheless that first moment when you see it it's kind of impossible to not just be like ah get me out of here oh my god yeah 
Yeah, no, I'm terrified. Steve Steve just tensed up. If you can see this, he just literally, like, his shoulders just went up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, years ago, my wife and I went on a fishing boat, and I saw a shark for the first time. But I made a mistake of taking, like, an edible before I went on the fishing boat, and I got really sick. So I ended up throwing up, like, on the shark. On the shark. Yeah, I swear, (laughs) you know? And then I couldn't enjoy it because I was so seasick. But we went to Hawaii for our honeymoon. I just remember... You know, like we would just just take a walk and see a beach. No one was on it and we'd go swimming in it. And then within like five minutes, I'm like, I'm done. And I'd run out and ends up that summer. I I was in the water every day, but only for like maybe five, 10 minutes at a time. Mm -hmm. And I had to get out because I was pale and I was I was kept thinking that my my pale legs might attract something. (laughs) And then then it ended up, though. That ended up being one of the the summers that had the most shark attacks in Hawaii history, and so wow. maybe maybe something was telling, or, or I should say, shark incidents. Uh, you know, for, you know, trying well, to yeah, trying to get we rid of the shark encounter out of my, uh, I mean, shark attack yeah. out of my vocabulary. But yeah, so maybe it was an instinct, something telling me to get out of the water when I did that. that, that well, especially that when way. you're like snorkeling or anything like that, because. Uh, Oddly, when we saw the sharks, not the point wasn't sharks, but it was like they took us to a reef area where there was just tons of fish everywhere. But we also went snorkeling like right outside, like on the beach of where a resort was. And there's also fish there, but that was, you know, there's nobody monitoring it and you just kind of go out there. And there is just something super eerie about that point in the water. Like even when it's really sunny, it's always like right over one of the reefs. It's just kind of blue, gray, nothing. And I've just seen so many movies that my brain can't help picture slowly seeing like a shark coming out of that, you know? It's always Uh, those beautiful sun rays and then it kind of gets (laughs) broken up just slightly, like a slight shadow enters and then it's done. Um, That that movie, The Reef, did a real, made great use of that where the shark would kind of just suddenly be there. I actually just five seconds before um, this interview talked about Reef stalked which is the brand new reef film which i have to say is since you guys are shark enthusiasts like me it's got some really good jump scares wait this is the one made this is part three or whatever this is andrew is it part three i thought it was part part two two. oh it's part part two two. okay so yeah this is the reef stalked same director um andrew i thought there already was a reef too huh i think you're thinking of the cartoon reef Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this one—it's not as far as shark films go. I gotta say, this one—it it, was—it's—it's it's not for everybody, but for shark enthusiasts, the reef uh, two was actually pretty fun. I'm um, excited. I'm yeah. excited to see it. Yeah, it was. It's it's literally like you know they're stuck on kayaks. Is the whole kind of pitch of it is it's a group of girls in the middle of the ocean on kayaks as they're stalked by a great white. It is pretty fun. Um, so I have a, a very much like a love hate relationship with sharks. Where um, I'm okay if I'm in water that's like up to my waist. As soon as I can no longer touch the bottom, I'm like losing my shit. And I always try <laughs> to stay cool, but I'm like totally losing my shit. And my kids love the beach, so we are at Malibu all the time. And there's very much like. I have a small threshold between like, I'm cool. I'm cool too. Oh my God, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And I'm one of those people like literally seaweed brushes my foot and I'm just jumping out of the water. At the <laughs> same time, 
I, my dream is to go cage diving. Like I would love to dive with great whites. I would love to see sharks up close. Like it's such just a, a long bucket list dream of mine. Um, to the point where I've even said like, if I don't make it, just dump my ashes into the water so I can at least see them that way. Feed me to a um, shark. Just feed me to a sh- Chum the water and then it'll be beautiful guys. Oh, man, I'd um, never do it. Can't do never, it. You can down, right? Not, right. No, I just. I, well, I saw I, that video where the shark jumped into the uh, jumped oh, into the cage from the top, and I'm like, I'm good. Oh man, <laughs> I, I would definitely, I would definitely lose it, but I would so do it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Jaws because this is kind of what kicks it off, and I was actually interested. In my own research, I could only find one shark film, I will call it, prior to Jaws. Did you guys find any others that were kind of hot shark commodities prior to Jaws? The only one that I, it was 1969, shark with an exclamation point, which I tried to watch and the shark was such a small part of it. Wait, is that the Burt Reynolds one? Or yeah. No? yeah. 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 So uh, did well, you Steve, guys- Steve can talk more about this. I mean, it's, it's going to be part of our doc about how it's funny jaws but sharks but all killer animal movies there's kind of this real line in the sand before and after jaws existed and legitimized the whole idea of that you could make a movie like this let alone about sharks but yeah steve i mean do you want to give a little primer on some of the stuff you uncovered uh yeah i mean there's jaws is the movie where it's about a shark before jaws what i'm what I'm seeing is like, I made an Excel sheet of every shark movie. It's amazing looking. Oh, wow. And I know I'm still miss. I'm still discovering stuff. And I even have all the ones that are in production or are going to come out. And it's, it's massive. Let me see. What's the number? It's close to 300. Oh my Um, gosh. So, but before Jaws, sharks like will be on the poster art and everything, but, they're not the movie, you know? It's mostly like, hey, um, strangely enough, what's interesting is like, you know, they're fishermen and they're dealing, you know, and they're fishing and then, you know, and it deals, there's a shark and there there's an accident that's going to happen with a fisherman and a shark. Or it's the shark is what's guarding a treasure, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm watching all these films just so, because, you know, as a, you know, they're not the ones I was really interested in, but since I'm doing the documentary, it's like, you know what? I should watch all these ones I haven't seen, but yeah, they're, they're disappointing because you get through this entire movie and you maybe get like a couple of minutes of screen shine of it, screen, screen time of a shark. And that's yeah, pretty I mean, much it's, it. It's yeah. like a eighties movie where you rented it. Cause it had some celebrities picture real huge on the cover. And you're like, wow, I love David Carradine. And then he's in one <laughs> scene. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Or when you rented that Tom Hanks is, Tom Hanks's brother was in a movie and he looked all cool on the cover. He's going to be just like Tom Hanks. And he was nothing like Tom Hanks. I was like, man, this is the Murray what? brother fooled yeah. me all the time. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. He tried to move in violations, you know, he did. He, he I remember moving. Good moving Wait, which one are we talking about? Cause I love Joel Murray. And then there's the other one who was in Scrooged. So uh, this wasn't as memorable. This was the one in Moving Violations, and I can't even remember what his first name is. My my husband, Dave. What is the name of the Murray from Moving Violations? <laughs> he would know this like right off the bat. Brian Doyle and the other one is- it's not Brian Doyle. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Brian but- Doyle, who 
successful in his own right. Uh, yeah. But then Joel, yeah. who was also on Mad Joel. Men, he's Freddie Robinson, the guy who pees his pants when he's drunk. Oh, is that? Who's uh, the guy named Caddyshack? One crazy summer. Caddyshack's Brian Durrell Murray, who is okay. uh, Bill's older brother. And is, I think of him always as the guy from Wayne's World who owns the arcade, who's like sponsoring their show. But then there's the youngest one who is in. What is his name, his... Dave? It's John Murray. It's John Murray. John Murray. Yeah. John Murray. There we go. Yeah. He's yeah. the youngest one who plays uh, Bill Murray's like nephew in Scrooged. Yes. yes. He gets the yep. VCR for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Okay, he's like yeah. the Zeppo of the Murray group, or he was like just the kind of normal looking guy. <laughs> so he's the one that I remember seeing on box covers and being like, ooh, a Murray. And then it not being <laughs> the Murray <laughs> that I wanted. Poor John. Violations was fun. It was fun. So, anywho's, um, yeah, fifties, sixties shark films. (laughs) Sidebar into the Murray family. (laughs) I think that was basically the right. It was the idea that yeah, it it hyped the sharks, and then there was never enough of it. Yeah, they're 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 great poster art, you know, but yeah, they're not really in the. They're not the. They're not the movie until Jaws, unless you're gonna. You know, Blue Water, White Death was a documentary about sharks, but yeah. which has but, some yeah. cool shit. Y- yeah, we actually, yeah. one of the guys uh, who worked on it. Oh wow, that's a that's a tight one. I'm so glad you guys were able to find somebody who worked on that one. That's like Mondo film. It feels like it's got like a Mondo film vibe to it that I really enjoyed. Um, but the so then Jaws happens, and let's talk a little bit about kind of the aftermath of Jaws and what happened there. Like, obviously, you know, it had this incredible psychological effect um, on people. And and so what did you guys find while you were researching? Like, what were some of the major effects that it had? Obviously, massive shark calls, like huge amounts of sharks being killed in response to the movie. Yeah, like uh, a big part of our doc kind of we hope it'll be the like emotional through line backbone of the film is just the arc peter benchley the author of the book jaws went on after the movie was clearly bigger than he ever could have expected and his widow relayed a story where like a newspaper called him to get a quote for because there was some like contest where people are just going out shooting sharks from like their boats and stuff. And he was oh. kind of just devastated, like a Frankenstein moment, right? Of like, what have I done? Um, I mean, yeah, Steve, do you want to talk any more about that? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, it, it is very, it was something I really didn't realize growing up, you know? Me either. But I, yeah. And so, I mean, I was terrified of them because of Jaws, you know? And so, and I think a lot of us was, were, and yeah, and that was the cycle. I mean, yeah, it, it, it damaged a lot of us, that movie. And the fact that as soon as I jump in the water, is there going to be, sh- there's going to be a shark there and it's going to eat me, Yeah, you know? And so, yeah, it did hurt, you know, it does, as Josh was saying, like someone like called Peter eventually and said like, Hey, I just killed, I just saw a shark and I killed it. And then he got really upset. You know, that's like going to your back dog and grabbing a gun and shooting like your dog. Like, why would you do that? You know, that's like a that's something we kind of realized, too, in exploring this is interesting is the way that this one movie so impacted an entire species was like Cujo is a great movie. People didn't start shooting dogs in their neighborhood. All of a sudden, there's just something like sharks are so scary to us that it just took one really well-made movie 
to really like tip the scales against a whole like important part of our ecosystem. And you're so true because that it did not work that way for other killer animal movies. Because like you, Josh, I loved these films when I was a kid. Like I would watch any killer animal movies and I wasn't suddenly scared of bees or snakes or, you know, that bears were going to jump out of the woods and attack me at any moment, no matter how many times I watched Grizzly or Alligator. Like it just that one, it never hit. But every single time I was in my pool, I would my parents had like this dinky little redneck above ground swimming pool. And every single time I was in there, I would swear (laughs) like the shadow of the Oak tree casting over the water was a shark. I did too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And no other film had that effect on me. Like I could watch Freddie and Jason and in no way, you know, externalize them into any actual fear that I had as a child. But Jaws did that. Yeah, I I was the same way with pools. You know what? I got to say there was a scene in Wolfen where the guy had a snake and he said, sometimes they come out of the toilet and they bite you on the ass. And I swear (laughs) to God, after that, my dad laughed. But then from that moment on, I was like terrified of going to the bathroom because of the snake. Uh, for me, it was arachnophobia so, <laughs> and the spider so, on the toilet and arachnophobia. Arachnophobia like did a good good job. The movie I mean, Alligator love- also has the great swimming pool scene. Oh, uh, although yeah. that one, I was just like, that kid wasn't even looking. It was very I obvious. Know. He there just was an jumped right in. in. That yeah. alligator is like right there. The lights are on. So. Yeah, my, my um, second no, favorite scene. genre. <laughs> Yeah, but. alligator movies. Oh, I I love alligator movies so much. I have an entire lecture I do in my class on alligator <laughs> films. Oh, it's awesome! Like, yeah, I'm like this is this is my 30 minutes of going off on alligator movies, guys. I know you're all here for slashers and Rob Zombie, but we're gonna talk about gators <laughs> for a sec. Um, but yeah, so Jaws definitely had this lasting impact, and then afterwards. I kind of always viewed Jaws as the birth of the mockbuster or kind of the copycat film. And I don't know if it actually was, but it was one of the first, I guess that it, it had come before because we were seeing it with some of the exploitation movies where we'd have like a last house on the left and then 50 different versions of that or like Ilsa and then all of the different Nazi films that came out afterwards. I guess we were still having it, but Jaws is the one where I felt like it was carbon copied. Like we have Jaws come out and then there was a couple like, um, like Mako Jaws of Death, William Greffy always. I mean, that's one of my favorites. Actually. Yeah, he always claimed that he'd actually made and written the movie before Jaws came out. Um, and he actually beat Jaws to the punch, but then it just didn't get released till after Jaws or something. I kind of like buy it though because his only other notable movie was that Willard rape ripoff called like mm-hmm. Stanley or something that's just Willard the with snakes. Snake one, yeah, where he can like tell a communicate with snakes and jaws of death is basically it's still it's basically willard with sharks i guess for people who don't know Mm -hmm. the movie it's the great uh richard jekyll is that his name from Mm -hmm. dirty dozen um (laughs) real interesting tweak on the shark subgenre considering that it came out like a year after jaws which is why i maybe do buy that he'd been working on it and richard jekyll is a guy He's like a swimmer who has like a special like amulet that some tribal shaman gave him that allows him to have a psychic connection with sharks. And he basically like telepathically communicates with the sharks to have them go like attack people he doesn't like that are like trying to hunt sharks. It's such a weird shark movie concept and it does not and this is why i almost buy william graffy's claim because it does not follow the shark it doesn't yeah jaws mo it's completely different my favorite thing about 
Mako Jaws of Death is what prompts him to go get the sharks to start hunting people is that there is a strip club owner who wants the strippers to start incorporating sharks into their routine. And I don't know if they really explain how that works, but it's very much like... They're they're like, it's one of those bars that you always see in movies but never do in real life where there's like a fish tank that women are swimming around in. Uh, and they want like the sharks in the routine, but that's exploiting the sharks for sex. And um, <laughs> yeah, and and that's his motivation is this sleazy strip club owner. I always found that one to be he's very sleazy too. <laughs> yeah, I I find William Griffey, um, you know, love him or hate him, he he definitely did something there. But yeah, it is 100%. so different from the shark films um, that we're now about to see right after that because we get Jaws. Mako Jaws of Death kind of creeps out. It's a much different tone. And then by like 77 is where I always think we see the onslaught. Like tentacles and orca are where I kind of see the kickoff of the shark exploitation. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and then you have Steve is definitely a big fan also. of the, yeah, the like Italian shark knockoff movie or Jaws knockoff movies. Yeah, because like what you're saying is true. It's almost like after Jaws, they were. A majority of them and to this day they're still kind of doing it too it's it's yeah it's the it's the jaws template you know mm-hmm. it, it's kind of weird and throughout the 90s it's crazy how many times that movie is told and told again well it's and, a great yeah. template i've always argued that that movie dante's peak with pierce brosnan uh and uh, uh what's her face from terminator um even though it's a movie about a volcano, it's it's using the Jaws template where it opens with two kids going into a hot springs <laughs> on the mountain and the volcano boils them. The water gets hot and boils them to death because it's, it's brilliant in its stupidity because I feel like you'd be like, how could a volcano like kill someone covertly <laughs> without anyone noticing? <laughs> and they figured it out. And it's the classic thing where it's like, we need to evacuate this town pairing up with a scientist and there's like the local city official is like, no, this town needs the, you know, big tourism dollars. We can't, there's this volcano isn't really happening. And it's all the same stuff at jaws. They just replaced jaws with a volcano. Yeah. <laughs> I have to rewatch Dante's peak now. Cause I, I would never have gotten <laughs> that watching it. And now I have to watch just for that same template. That um, is too but, funny that, yeah. plus, you know, I think the other thing about jaws is like, I think it's like the perfect, book adaptation also because it adapted it keeps it so- all the good stuff loses all the dumb stuff mm-hmm. uh, it makes the characters better yeah yeah you, you know like it's like it's almost like the the movie is so good that it turns the book into a novelization which it really isn't a novelization but it turns it into one and it feels you know? that way. Yeah. And then all of the, the, I love all the Jaws novelizations. Like I wish there was voodoo in Jaws 4. Um, <laughs> that's the version of the movie I wanted. But yeah, um, the Jaws novelizations are all a trip. Um, so Orca is kind of one of the kickoff points, 1977. And Steven, I know you're into your Italian ones. Is Orca a fave of yours? Oh yeah. I loved it when I was a kid. Like It, it disturbed me as a kid, but it's one I really liked. You know what? I need to go back and rewatch it because it's been years, but I used to watch the hell out of it because again, you know, growing up, it was one of the rare ones, but it was also a good one, you know? Yeah. And- I just screened that movie mm-hmm. uh, with my buddy, Mike Williamson, who has a vast 16 millimeter collection here Does in LA. Orca on yeah. 16 mil. Oh, that's impressive. Uh, here twice a year in LA, we do um, a 12 hour, six film, 16 millimeter <laughs> 
themed marathons and we did a killer animal one of which orca was a big hit and like same with steve it's like there's something you know i feel like when you're a kid and you don't quite realize that you've gotten used to like american movies because you're american and you'll see like for me it was like seeing like doctor who episodes on bbc and i I I wasn't young enough to realize that what weirded me weirded me out about the show was just that it was low budget. Like that was it. That was all that weirded me out. But it was almost like an uncanny valley effect on my brain. And I think with Orca it was that it's so similar to Jaws, but the fact that it's this Dino De Laurentiis movie that's trying like really hard to be like trying way harder to be like a sophisticated drama than Jaws mm-hmm. was trying to be, and it's trying to be like super already just those qualities for some reason as a kid like almost like unsettled me in ways i didn't understand and i so i was kind of fascinated by the movie but i also kind of hated it and it was on tbs all the time that's where i saw it Um, i remember seeing it on there and being confused and it wasn't till later that i realized like the orcas crying tears in the movie and like sobs when its wife and baby get strung up and and then it has like funeral oh my fucking god that's traumatizing yeah and then it burns the city to the ground I think that's one of the reasons why I haven't been able to go back and watch it as much as an adult is because of that scene. And because I, I have a dog and I became immediately sensitive to animals and became a vegetarian, don't eat meat or fish <laughs> because I, my dog became, you know, my wife wanted him, but all of a sudden he became attached to me. And now I freaking love the guy and I've become so sensitive. And Your so, dog would eat a fish in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, he would. A monster. He, he, oh, you have to see him go after squirrels, man. Like, I don't know. He's insane. Oh, yeah. But, no, the squirrels but, um, in the yard. My dog hates them. Now, you should rewatch it. I mean, especially. I, I will, but I'm, I'm like, that's the thing. I'm kind of like. Oh, real I'm hilarious. And, and I do have to, yeah, no, it's hilarious. It's got my favorite is at the end when the city's burning and you see the orca just leap out of the water. Ah! And try yeah, oh, that's yeah, it's, and it's style. got Richard Harris playing his best Quint. Like he is straight <laughs> up just like I watched Quint last night. I'm gonna do what I can here, guys. Um, and so it's just feels like it. Yeah, good um, cast. It's I think beautiful. it's Bo Derek's first too. movie. Yeah, Bo Derrickson. And you're right. It is a beautiful movie. Um, I can't hold on. I wrote down where it was shot because I was so impressed with it. Um, it was not I kept saying Dino De Laurentiis. It has to be like an Italian city. And maybe I didn't write that down. Um, but yeah, it wasn't an Italian. Oh, Newfoundland. It was shot in Newfoundland, Canada. Mm. Um, but just the city itself looks gorgeous. And the Marconi score in it. Yeah, it's just way better than the score for Orca deserves to be like it's good. <laughs> I should also note Steve is simultaneously making another documentary about movie tie-in novels, Becca. Um, and isn't there's something weird about the tie-in? Like the Orca has a tie-in novel that actually they precedes the movie, right, Steve? And then they just yes. acted like it's a tie-in or yes, something I, weird like that. I have it on my shelf. Yeah, it's well, it's Orca is based on the book, so but they put the poster of the movie on the cover to kind of fool you that it's a novelization and they did do that with a lot of movies so for a second there i thought it was a novelization but unfortunately it it isn't but you know it looks like one you know like they did the same thing with um like when they would re you know like blade runner doesn't have a novelization but if you bought it it has harrison's Ford's picture on the cover but you're really reading the original story that's like uh you know 
that's how they kind of fooled you at a lot of tie-ins, you know? They still do that because if yeah. you buy like a lot of the books that I had as a kid, when I buy them for my daughter, they've now got whatever recent movie was made that was a version of that book will be smacked on the cover. Although, um, exactly. Yeah. Like it's Deadly the, Eyes total, and stuff like that. Not to get off topic, but Total Recall, that that does have a novelization though, even though it's based on a Philip K. Dick short story, I believe right? that one does. Um I feel like Piers Anthony or someone yeah, Piers like Anthony wrote like that, that one. So fascinating. Yeah. yeah, well, because that's also that. Well, that book that that movie is so. Well, that's like a whole other story. Yeah, I'm fascinated. <laughs> that's something oh, for our novel- podcast. You'll have to have well. yeah. a whole You'll other have to episode back guys. for the yeah. yeah, yeah. You're coming back for that. Um, yeah. yeah, Jim Coons. I I went over yes. to his place to shoot one day, and he took me in. I, I can't even call it a closet. It's like a room of novelizations. The Steve and Jim are doing the doc. That's oh, well, that Jim makes total that. sense. Yeah, Jim is directing, um, yeah. I'm producing, but you have to see that room now. It's oh, even insaneer. I was probably maybe three weeks before lockdown when I was last there. I think we were doing a podcast there. And um, yeah, and it was pretty, I took a picture of myself in front of the wall um, holding (laughs) something crazy. And yeah, I have to go back and see it now. Um, But continuing forward in shark movie history, the next one I felt like we should highlight is um, Tintoria, just because you also have the poster behind you, Steve. Steve does. um, Two guys, a girl and a shark, the sexiest shark. Hugo Stiglitz classic. Yes. Which I this one I bring up because the original sh- the original Jaws was the driest most non sex movie ever like it just it doesn't even get brought up except for like a few sexy times that she says well Mr Brody and aside from that like sex is just it's not in the movie and then somebody yeah, they, say, they said, say do you want to get drunk and fool around but we don't see it yeah <laughs> yeah or bow-legged women I mean that's about all we get there but um somebody somewhere said you know what let's put a bunch of sex into a shark movie and make it really sexy with a threesome and thus we have Tentoria. That is, yeah. That's how I described it to someone like after I first saw that years ago. Is I'm like, it's basically like a European sexy three-way movie, but that also has sharks in it. Yeah, like <laughs> Summer Lovers with Sharks. That oh my Peter God, Gallagher Summer movie. Lovers, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh my gosh. It is super sleazy, too. And yeah, it's... And has yeah. like animal mutilation in it. Ugh, so it's definitely a uh, buyer be warned. Uh, yeah. For, no kidding. Um, so definitely stop me if I'm skipping any that you are like, oh my god, I can't believe you. Didn't I was going to bring up Jaws like- of Death, but you already did. So yeah, yeah okay. it's, a, I, I, it's not a shark movie, but Tentacles has one of the most terrifying sequences. I thought the 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 nighttime octopus taking out the woman is. There's a sequence in that film I find like terrifying and gorgeous, and it's. You know, today, I don't know if you could ever. Well, I think. Oh, anyway. Yeah, it, it's, you know, that's it's probably one of my favorite aquatic sequences in a, in a film. And I have to say the tentacle score is so good. I have I actually have that vinyl. Yeah, yeah. movies with that where I've been like, um, I don't know, put tentacles there for now. Like it just it yeah. functions. It's just a great score across the board. Um, it's a, good it's such a evil movie too because like jaws you know he, he eats a kid and then tentacles they they raise it to you know he's gonna eat a baby <laughs> <laughs> right out of the it's like 
damn. Yeah, it gets, I re- and this goes back to my love of Gator films. I remember watching Dark Age recently, and I was like, I let my kids sit with me while we were watching it, because I was like, oh, it's just a silly crocodile movie. And then it eats this like little three-year-old on a dock, and I was like, well, this shit just got real dark, so... <laughs> Dude, they were throwing down the gauntlet because it was like back then the bees killing kids, rattlers, they'd be killing kids. Like they were just killing kids like yeah. crazy back then and in, in these animal attack films. It was like, we've got to kill a woman, a guy, and a kid. You got to throw that in there to make it, well, you know. Let's kill a whole camp full of kids with one of my absolute favorites, which technically isn't a shark, <laughs> but it's the same damn movie as Piranha from 1978. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah. even though that it isn't a shark, it's kind of following the same path. And I consider oh, this to be one of the best of the Jaws. Dick Miller is the, yes. the mayor character. Yeah, the, there's that out there yeah yeah it, it's fantastic it really is you know like because there's like two set pieces it's like the camp and then the uh the resort mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's great and it's also like you know it's a ripoff but and it knows it is and that's what's so good about it you know well, it's a parody that's not actually a parody like mm-hmm. I, I usually get kind of annoyed mm-hmm. if i see that categorized as a jaws parody because i'm like it's its own movie like yeah it's not it's not a a mockbuster yeah Yeah. same with alligator when that gets shoved in or even grizzly i'm like these are good films in their own rights it's definitely different from like cole the turkish jaws which is basically jaws (laughs) yeah um yeah just with a slightly more plasticky fish um but yeah it, it those are good movies that function in their own right and piranha i definitely think does something vastly different um but then we get these ones like in there that i i don't know if they're good but i still always watch them things like barracuda up from the depths cave of sharks killer fish um there's just a whole grouping that comes out in like 78 79 mm-hmm. and that's where i always see the bulk of the ones that um i like the posters um and that's what i can always say about them is i'm like i really like the poster yeah i think up from the depths i like it because i don't think it's good but i like the they show the fish a lot you know and it's and it's prosthetic mm-hmm. you know I, I like before cg i like that they show it a lot and i loved killer fish as a kid it was always on hbo i um, remember but, that one a lot too they were protecting gems i think in another treasure hunt you know that's yeah. the other thing you're gonna find if it's not ripping off jaws it's gonna it's the treasure you know yeah the deep i remember it was more mm-hmm. eels protecting heroin morphine it was some type of drug um, i think it's morphine yeah. the little morphine. <laughs> Moray eel. Did you like Jaws of Revenge? If you ever look at the deleted scenes, there's like a, a little phantasm, them, you know, Phantasm, he's, they're playing the guitar on the porch. Mario Van Peebles and uh, Lance Guest are like on the porch singing about a moray eel. And it's like, it totally has that phantasm vibe. And you're like, thank God they cut this out of the movie. I was thinking Deliverance vibe. (laughs) (laughs) About more eels. Wow! Now I have to hunt down the bonus features for that. Okay, so you've got um, you've got Great White behind you right now, Steven. Oh yeah, one of my favorites. Nineteen eighty-one. Um, is that right? Yes, eighty-one. Yeah, Last Shark. Um. So yeah, this one I know you absolutely love. Tell us a little bit about why. Oh, it was because this was my first Indiana Jones put on the fedora. I have to find this movie. That's (laughs) what that was. Because I, in Fangoria, there was like, you know, you can order like magazines, other like magazines or fanzines. And there was this magazine called Deep Red. And I 
I bought it and there was an article in there about Great White. I'd never heard of it before. And there was like a story that someone died during the making and all this stuff. And immediately I was trying to find this thing, but I couldn't. And years later, I'd find out it was because Universal banned it because it mm-hmm. was, it's Jaws, you know, they, they ripped off, they took Jaws one and two and combined it into a movie and released it. And Universal got upset and had it removed. I think to this day, you can't play it here in the States, but it's a beautiful motion picture. It's mm-hmm. beautiful because they show the shark a lot. Um, like as you were saying with Richard Harris and Orca doing his best Quint. Oh my God, man. Vic Morrow is just <laughs> has a knife and has a this. knife and fork in every scene because he's chewing it up, man. Like eating, <laughs> it. eating every frame of that movie. It's gorgeous. I, I love it to death. You know, this yeah, but- was one that I definitely was fast. I'd never seen it until I heard about it being completely banned in the States. And then it became this like massive hunt of, okay, I have to find <laughs> this film now. And then having to find it bootleg and mm-hmm. just having, you know, this amazing time locating it. And I loved the tagline was just, there's something in the water, which I think is actually <laughs> a direct quote from Jaws. Um, so yeah, it's just so basic, but the posters that this one did were just amazing as well. Wow. Uh, absolutely it was the first movie i ever bought off of ebay oh. yeah because <laughs> that was that was like the fr- when i first discovered ebay it was the first thing i looked for the very yeah. first movie i bought off ebay was actually one that you just did a podcast on neon maniacs um, oh. it was the very first film i hunted down awesome. off ebay yeah, i am still putting that podcast together it's oh, turned shit. Into, i still want to get you for it. it's been it's like it's out of control <laughs> I love <laughs> I love the layered onion that is Neon Maniac. I'm me back too. in LA like August 10th. Like hit me up for the shark exploitation okay. doc and Neon Maniacs will do it in the same week. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. a whole other conversation. It's out of well, that's a pocket. It's out of control. It's like six hour long episodes at this point, and I'm gonna oh cry. God. Yeah, I went too wow. far. That is amazing. Um, So (laughs) Neon Maniacs is a whole different show. Um, But I do, before we move into some of the more um, kind of the post uh, shark exploitation boom that we had in the late 70s, early 80s, the one that I always have to give love to is the Baba One Monster Shark. Not because it's a good movie, but because it's a prehistoric shark mixed with an octopus. And I will watch that weird creature all the time. Like, there will even have to be people in the movie. I will just watch that thing with the fucked up teeth and the tentacles. I love it so much. <laughs> I'm so happy you always give that movie props. As long as the, as long as long I've known you, like, I'm, <laughs> you're the only person I ever hear brings it up and just gives it props. I'm so happy because it was it's, one it's- that I. I watched it when I was a kid and I had reached a point and this is such a dorky, I'm just showing my geekdom. Um, there was a video store after I'd rented every horror film here in my little hometown of Winchester, Virginia. I'd written, written, writ, rented, let me try to get that out. Every horror film at on track video, which was our video store here. I begged my parents to let me go two counties over to this big video store in Arlington, Virginia. Um, it was massive called video vault and they let me. And so like by the time I was a senior in high school, they were letting me drive an hour to rent movies in the city, um, which was a big deal. And one that I rented all the time was Demon Fish Monster Shark. And um, so much so that when, and I became such good friends with the people at Video Vault that years later, I was living in New York City and I was working for Fangoria. 
they um, had told me that they were probably going to go out of business. It's when all the mom and pop video stores were closing. And they called me, um, the owner called me on like a Wednesday afternoon. And he was like, everything goes on sale tonight. If you want to come down, we can save titles for you. Let us know what you want. And I drove down that night. Like literally I left the Fangoria <laughs> office at five o'clock. I drove six hours down. They stayed open for me. I ran up a credit card buying up all of the old VHS tapes from my youth and I own the big monster cassette of Monster Shark. Um, and it was the one that I rented over and over when I was a kid. So yeah, that it was is it. amazing. It meant a lot to me for some reason. It's not a good movie. Like if I look at the plot, I'm like, eh. But it was just that it was doing something different where all these other ones were like, well, I guess we can make it a tiger shark. Well, can this one be <laughs> reef sharks? Like it was always very kind of plasticky in the approach. This one, I was like, well, Baba was really trying something there. Like he was really trying to yeah. throw some spice on that. It's also ahead of its time with the kind of sci-fi channel, uh, you know, hybrid chimera, weird, you know, shark creature movies. Yeah, there's like amalgam of creatures that it is mm -hmm. like this prehistoric shark and octopus you're right it is completely ahead of its time i was also gonna that. say i won the vinyl soundtrack to that movie at horror trivia becca oh. <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even know we were giving out the vinyl soundtrack but let me tell you that is quite a gem so a great cover. Yeah. you're welcome oh, yeah, it does it has just a great cover, like just with the, the fish looming below the water. And I've seen that cover art ripped off a number of times where I've looked at other posters and been like, you just stole from Monster Shark, mm -hmm. sir. <laughs> um, so yeah. So before we kind of move a little bit more contemporary, the other one that I have to give love to, um, which if you watch the the Blu-ray from Severin, you can actually hear me talking about shark exploitation, is Cruel Jaws from 1995. Oh, like, yeah. Bruno mm -hmm. Matai doing some major Bruno Matai-ness there. Um, so yeah, this one, it literally uses the soundtrack from Star Wars. And that is the most amazing thing ever in a shark Has film. a guy who looks like Hulk Hogan in it, but isn't Hulk Hogan. Right? Oh my that gosh, was, uh, yeah. When Steve and I were first becoming friends, talking about trying to find <laughs> movies is uh, uh, my Friday Night Frights. For listeners, I, don't, I wouldn't expect you to know this unless you live in LA. I do a live movie screening series called Friday Night Frights that I've been doing for a uh, coming up on 12 years and for our fifth anniversary uh, my co-host sebastian at the time had the great idea of like what if we did a marathon of all part fives we were trying to think like outside the box and i feel like i just been talking to steve one of the first few times i met him probably at mm -hmm. jim coons used to have hangouts more often back then um and i feel like we were talking about it and i was like oh, i can't you now Severin put out the movie and got in trouble for the rights issues, which we can talk about that rip that even ripped off uh great white and jobs right? and it ripped off everything and reused footage. Uh, but I knew I was like, I bet Steve has a copy and he had a <laughs> file that was like, as far as I could tell, that's all you could get back then. There were no like proper releases anywhere. So mm -hmm. I screened this like low, <laughs> low res looking copy up on the big yeah. screen and it I kills felt, though. It did. I felt so bad because the, the night scenes were, un, were like, you could barely see what was going on. At this and point it, it was, was like 2 AM. No one. Yeah, cares. It, was, it, was <laughs> late, but it was, it was beautiful. It was a very beautiful moment. I remember I'll never forget being in that oh. theater watching it. It was like, I can't believe I'm watching this on the big screen. Oh, because we didn't know? announce any of the titles. That's mm -hmm. the other key. There's no way we could have screened or cleared that screening. 
Yeah, and it, yeah, I don't think this was always a question because I used to do those like secret screenings all the time is if you don't announce the title, therefore you're not profiting off of announcing the title. Do you still have to get rights? And uh, yeah, well, no, you can still get in trouble for it if they bust you. I think the you're hoping that they just never find out you did. <laughs> Oh, and yeah. even then, I mean, how much money did you make? You know, exactly. a few hundred yeah, bucks. Your yeah. screening of Cruel Jaws. Um, this is one <laughs> I found Cruel Jaws. It's probably been 10, 15 years ago. Sometimes when you go to horror conventions, and I don't see it as much now because I think they tightened it up. But in old times when you would go to horror conventions, there was always the one guy with the folding table who just had boxes of burned DVDs. And it would say like Cruel Jaws on it in Sharpie. And that's where like you would yeah, so find You want Cruel Jaws? You want Fright Night 2, kid? You yeah, know. that was it. Exactly. I still have so many of those like dudes and with the original soundtrack. Oh, nice. and, um, just movies that you know they just did not exist anywhere else at the mm-hmm. time like you want to see blood salvage this is like the only way you're going to see blood salvage until it's like it's definitely how i got Amazon. it's funny so many of these now have been like restored and released but that was how that's why i had fright night too that's why i had the kindred uh oh gosh, all these yeah. movies that just couldn't get re-released again although yeah i, I, I can't remember what happened was severin got busted for theirs in some way but I think they're maybe still allowed to sell it. They just I had know. to stop advertising yeah. it or something. I forget what it is. I think it's maybe still on their website, though, for people. I who still wanna... get people or maybe they couldn't print more copies of it. I still get people tweeting at me that they have just purchased it. And oh, my gosh, your shark exploitation thing's cool. Um, So it's definitely still getting out there. Good, um, good. Yeah, definitely. Should. So, yeah. It's, but it's on a... that, um, I even just mentioned a film in the prior segment where I was talking in the right before you guys came on. I was talking about how I just watched pieces on Shutter last night and John Picare Simon and I. I remember Cthulhu Mansion was another one that I bought, like the burn wow. DVD. Nobody's ever seen this shit. And yeah, so that's wild. Um, but yeah, so 1995, by that time, we are starting to get into what I would call the sci-fi movies, because that's where I was getting really into like my mosquitoes and, um, you know, the avalanche sharks and all of the, the crazy stuff coming to sci-fi. So what are if any some of your fave sci-fi films like do you guys have a fave sci-fi shark film that you're like this one's just fun i don't know i mean the the problem for me is that there's it's the exact opposite of what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast is that part of there were so few shark movies back in the day at least the ones because i didn't know about any of the italian ones Mm -hmm. when i was just a kid in a minnesota suburb um, so there was something kind of special about each one that made me forgive them, even if they weren't very good. Now there's so many that they get very samey in my mind. Although I did like uh, the, um, what's it called? The shark Kansas, uh, oh my shark and saw women's prison. Yes, that one. That is a Jim Wynorski treat, yes, sir. Totally. <laughs> it has the Wynorski touch. Oh my gosh, yeah. No, that Starring was... What's-Her-Face, who was in the Lolita yeah. adaptation. Jim Wynorski was on, oh gosh, this is like 10 years ago, like Killer POV, right as he was releasing Shark and Saw Women's Prison. And I remember asking him, so we're in Arkansas in a women's prison and there are sharks. And he was like, oh yeah, there here's how there's sharks. <laughs> and I can't remember the logic of how there were sharks in the women's prison in but Arkansas. Yeah, there's but something yeah. about the like... 
just the the style of these movies i almost don't want them to be trying to make like a real shark movie it's like right. getting into the like ghost shark toilet shark just like whatever i love ghost shark there is too. something so Atomic fun shark. about ghost shark ghost shark yeah. is pretty great yeah i agree. yeah i have to say as far as the sci-fi films go like ghost shark i find pretty watchable even though that it is not um technically a ghost movie oh gosh the name just escaped my brain and i've definitely promoted it a lot like devil fish demon fish why can't i remember the name of it snakehead it's about snakeheads and i can't remember what the name of the movie was um but it's set in the bayou and oh gosh it was good almost human uh, did the effects was that frank frankenfish frankenfish that's yeah. it like yeah. i like frankenfish watchable movie frankenfish is good and then there was snakehead terra on the sci-fi channel yeah there was a few of them that came out i live in the area of the country where the snakeheads were first discovered and they came out when i was in high school and that was a whole thing was like if you see them they will bite you they can walk on land they can go between water but yeah they were first found in virginia here and it was like this big like snakehead scare like i remember news stories about the snakeheads like they were all gonna just eat us alive um (laughs) and then it happened with them and i don't hear about snakeheads anymore but for a hot minute it was a thing um and i remember all the snakehead movies so oh yeah Yeah, um so getting into some more contemporary stuff because i know we're pushing time here but i would love to know like some of the more recent things that you guys have found that you love even things within like the past you know 20 years like deep blue sea forward like what are some of the ones that you're like deep blue sea is great i really liked bait the one that's all in a flooded grocery store (laughs) oh my Mm -hmm. gosh yeah that one is so fun and I liked Shark Knight 3D as far as that it it was it's interesting how long it took someone to be like, what if we made a shark movie that has multiple shark species in it? It's not just usually it's not what you know, it's Mako, you know, tiger shark, whatever. They just pick a type of shark and it's just one of those. So it ends up feeling more like a Jaws clone. Deep Blue Sea was fun because it at least had multiple uh what were those those were like makos they were like they were genetically engineered makos genetically or something engineered sharks that had not alzheimer's they were treating <laughs> alzheimer's but like they, <laughs> the sharks had like superhuman brains or super shark brains what a great so conceit were- did you know sharks can't get alzheimer's is that what it was or was cancer they can't get cancer, but I don't think they can get Alzheimer's either. That was the essential part of it is like, and it's apparently true is like sharks cells don't deteriorate in quite the same way that humans do. Um, so sharks still die, but they don't get cancer and they don't get Alzheimer's or dementia. Like it's just not in. I would sharks. argue they're not smart enough to get <laughs> dementia, but <laughs> if, if, if you have Tubi, there's a, there's a Chinese a uh, shark movie called Blood Bite that actually just premiered today on there and it's a Deep Blue Sea ripoff. I'm not saying to watch it because the effects are <laughs> brutal, but if you want to see the Chinese Deep Blue Sea movie, you could watch that. But I love Deep Blue Sea 3. I think it, I think it was Isn't really good. Aaron Scott one? That was he part two. two. Okay, what was 3? I have not seen 3. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. I I I was so surprised by it. Uh that one I really liked a lot. And the other one I really liked, it just came out. And it was called Shark Bait. And I wish it would have got a theatrical screening, but it went I I think it was kind of robbed of not being theatric. Cuz I thought it was a lot of fun cuz you know, I watch a lot of these movies and a lot of them aren't good. So when you see mm-hmm. one that's pretty good, you get excited. And so Oh yeah. So the past few years, 
I went Sorry, to the go. premiere of uh, 37 Meters Down 2. Wait, what was that? Me too. That one? It was oh, the one in Westwood? You were there as well? Or yeah, I was there as well. Jonas invited me because I'm such a shark fan. Um, uh, and Yeah, it was like Cave of the Sharks or something. Like, I can't uh, even uncaged. remember. Actually, uncaged. Uncaged. Yeah. That was it, yeah. You know, it's always um, different when you watch something at a festival or like its own premiere, but... Uh, I felt like it, it killed with the crowd and it was so like intentionally absurd. I was the first it. one. He was going for kind of like more realism for the sequel. He was just like, nope, this is going to be, I'm going to do the descent, but with archaeology sharks. with cave sharks, man, that it. was, it was a trip. Yeah. It was an absolute trip. And it was, and ha- I'm sorry, go. <laughs> oh yeah. I was just going to say, and what impressed me so much is he had talked about how um, in the first one that they were filming in this massive pool and that they were trying to create like particulates oh, yeah, in the like water. Broccoli and stuff. It's, we yeah, interviewed like broccoli and chocolate milk. And yeah, it was yeah, just like this disgusting, disgusting slurry. <laughs> and then they had to do even more of that for the caves. And then it was like trapped in there. And I was just oh. like, Oh, this is gross guys. But yeah. Um, <laughs> swimming in slurry. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. Let's discuss some deep cuts. Any ones that you think like our shark enthusiasts at home might not have seen. I'm going to drop 12 Days of Terror just because this is one that... Is that about um, the true story? about the the historical um, film about the Jersey shore attacks. And so it literally like, it starts with the, the kids in the the river, which is honestly goddamn terrifying. Cause it is just two like eight year old boys swimming in basically like a stream by their house. And then you see a fin and it's fucking brutal. And it's just in this like least likely place. Cause it's just like this ambling brook and then they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, it, it was constructed far more as like a historical drama like it really does feel like a historical drama but the shark attack sequences in it are really tight and how you feel the paranoia within the community it's really good in this movie so yeah it's hard to find now but this came out when i was writing for blumhouse and i remember reviewing it and being like a surprisingly good shark film yeah it was like tommy lee wallace had something to do with that one too yeah yeah it was a good one i like that one too yeah, it's Quite. got something something charming to it. Yeah, any other um, recent deep cuts? Or not even recent, because like, I'll mean, include... Oh, go ahead. I was at, you know, I don't know if I necessarily sell this as like, oh, it's so great, you got to see it. I just think if anyone cares about shark movies, I just feel it's the kind of thing you're going to want to watch just to have watched it, um, is that Mario Van Peoples, of all people, since he was in Jaws 4... He f- he's the guy who finally made a USS Indianapolis movie, uh, you know, Quint's famous speech from the movie mm-hmm. Jaws, and it's starring Nick Cage. And it's such a weird tonal movie because you could tell Van Peebles was interested in making like, I want to just make kind of a mostly serious dramatic thriller about these, you know, sailors who were you know delivered the bomb and their boat got sank and had to survive and there were sharks but obviously i just feel like the financers were like we need to have crazy shark attacks in it too so it's kind of it'll just be this like mostly straight drama for a while and then all of a sudden there will be like kind of a insane shark attack and then it'll go back to drama is that how you would categorize that steve 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's very, it really does tackle the historic elements of it. But the sharks look great in it. You know, it's the same guy that did the Deep Blue Sea Sharks. Oh, wow. What is the name yeah. of this one? I have not seen this. It's the Nicolas Cage USS Indianapolis. Uh, okay. That's another courage. name. It's like USS Men Indianapolis. Col- oh, sorry. Men of Courage. Yeah. Men of Courage. Okay. I'm in. That's I think wonderful. Tom Jane is also in it, right? I think so. Yeah, I, it was, we watched it together that one time. Yeah. I'm trying to. Uh, I've seen so many of these at at some point. I'm starting. I I can't remember a, a lot. Some of, of these it. do blur together, right? Uh, yeah, especially and the kind of sci-fi channel stuff. Those are the ones that lose me a little bit. Like I definitely try to keep up with my shark exorcist shark exorcists or whatever it is but yeah they lose me after a while to the point where i can't remember which sequences are in which one occasionally i'll have something like the shark attack three megalodon where like one scene or one line will be like okay well i'm remembering that for the rest of my life <laughs> um like with go shark it's a slip and slide where the kids are on the slip and slide and literally yeah. the shark mouth yeah. appears there's the a end. lot of sequences in that movie that are are fantastic i think that's a right? that's a that's one of my favorite sci-fi channel ones i i 100 agree i have to agree yeah yeah. Um, but yeah, that's there's occasionally those, but like the shark to puss avalanche go sand shark like they they've blurred in my brain um and i'll still watch them but yeah most of them don't have those memorable moments so yeah i understand there's a fun there's a moment in six-headed shark attack that's pretty beautiful where the shark walks (laughs) up on the beach very slowly yeah but but it's awesome uh i think a a deep one i like a lot is called red is red water it's not like really it was made for red water it's got Mm -hmm. coolio and lou diamond phillips and it's um i like it a lot i think that's that's a fun one too yeah that did not get much acclaim when it came out and it's definitely a decent uh shark movie no that's a good one um i will throw out and it's one that i think elric talked about maybe a couple months back but night of the sharks with um treat (laughs) williams it's it's, i don't know if it's a shark film i guess it kind of is um it's like a gangster movie with a shark in it and the shark is named cyclops i think is that its name (laughs) um i don't there's just one part where shark treat williams like literally walks to the edge of his dock and he goes fuck you shark and then he just walks back and it's yeah. just the greatest scene um yeah so that's it's it's a fun one and that i believe is on amazon prime right now i yeah that, doesn't the shark steal a boat in that one too it like, does and i think that's why he says fuck you shark is it like yeah. takes his like little dinghy and like swims off like the shark's just a jerk and that's all i can remember about the movie is there's like gangsters and it's a heist film but he lives on a pier with this shark named i want to say cyclops it might be like clyde or something like that um but the shark is just a dick is the only way to describe it so yeah but it's, i remember the shark kind of saves the day at the end so i guess you know he comes to term with the shark oh so. yeah, but um sounds like yes. it'd make a good double feature with uh the richard jekyll movie what's the richard jekyll movie <laughs> mako jaws of death Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Thank you. So, um, okay. So since you have a master list of everything coming up, and I know you guys have amazing socials to the point where you're now like one of my favorite Instagrams to troll because you're constantly posting like, hey, this thing's coming out today. (laughs) What should we be looking for? Like what is in the pipeline as far as shark movies go that we should be paying attention to? Um, oh boy. I mean, the one I'm really excited about, uh, I'm already forgetting the title. I wonder if I can Google it. I was just messaging Steve about it. There's a French shark movie. Mm, Yeah. That's uh, coming out. Yeah. 
I'm forgetting what it's called. I'm, ex- though. I'm excited for that one too. It's called. Um, oh, I have the. Oh, I have the French title here. Year of the Shark. Is that what it's called? Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, because I have the French title here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm excited for that one too. Okay. And we have French one coming out. Shark film. Yeah. Wow. Next month we have two ones. We have that, and we have Man Eater. I didn't. Wa- I don't watch trailers, so I haven't watched that. And then next week is the Reef Two. But I'm kind of. There's mm-hmm. one called The Black Demon that's coming out. I'm curious about. Yeah. That- the- Oh, Sorry, go on, Steve. oh no then meg 2 next year i'm super psyched about i am too so i i covered it for the show a couple of months back but um after much dismay like i was one of those people that watched meg and then immediately knee jerked and went that's not what the book was and, and got grumpy <laughs> about it in my most petulant manner um years later i decided it was probably last christmas to go back and rewatch it and it's fun i have to say mm-hmm. as soon as i set it from the fact that there was not a t-rex getting attacked by a megalodon in the opening scene which i really fucking wanted guys as soon as i separated myself from that it's fun it's jason statham stabbing a shark and writing it down i mean like it's exactly what you think it will be you know what kills me is that when john debont was gonna make it a friend of mine was at a post house or some type of effects house and he saw the opening like they were working on it the T Rex scene? Yes. <gasps> back in the nineties, you know, or the late early two thousands. That scene was being worked on. And to this day, I it, it, I, I want to see that footage, but it probably I, doesn't look good. Oh, I want that scene so bad. The and, one the from the Meg series that I want so bad is Hell's Aquarium. I loved that book. That was just like the highlight of my summer a number of years ago. I don't even know what number that is in the <laughs> Meg series, but it's just it's wonderful. Yeah, I'm hoping that's what I was okay. going to say, because I think Steve mentioned it, and then I think I accidentally interrupted him. The Black Demon, which is an upcoming oh, yeah. movie, seems interesting because I think that's another kind of Meg style where it's like an unnaturally large shark. But that's that's based on some like Mexican legend, some like folkloric mythology based, uh, I think, semi supernatural shark. So I always like I wanted something slightly, slightly different like that. Yeah. No, I like the folklore style. Okay, guys. Well, I've got much to be watching for. Now, the big question, are we headed to the beach this summer? Are you guys going to, is it is it safe to get in the water? I mean, Shark Week <laughs> is coming up, so I'm going to be glued to the TV for that. Um, but yeah, so are you guys headed off on vacations to the beach? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I, 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 I survived my snorkeling with sharks, and now I keep like reading articles about uh, California oh. shark attacks. So... <laughs> I read a couple of those. Steve, vacation? Uh, unfortunately, not really. I got to finish this thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be working. Uh, I'll see you guys uh, in August for that. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, I did notice on IMDb there is a movie called Sharks in the Hood coming out. I don't know uh-oh. what that's going to be like. But anyway. Yeah, wow. But, that just yeah. feels cringy and wrong in all yeah. areas. But I'm I will just, still see it. So. I'm looking at my announce list. I won't even go... I won't even get into the titles. They're insane. But yeah, there's a lot. Oh, there's a lot and- coming out. A what lot. was the Chinese one that you sent me a link to? Like literally, I think it was on Tubi and you sent me a link oh. and I watched the whole thing. And I think you were like, you only need to watch the sequence. And I watched <laughs> the whole goddamn thing. That was a fun one. It's Snake, right? Yeah, Snake. That was, yeah, I watched the whole thing. It was a trip. That yeah, that's a that's, trip. I like that one a lot. And there's there's a good one called, there's one I enjoyed called land shark that's a chinese one that i really enjoyed because I, I watched all the the chinese ones 
So and are the Chinese, are they putting out a bunch of shark films now? A lot, they put, right? They put out a lot. There's a lot of animal attacks. There's a cool crawl ripoff they did that I liked called Crazy Tsunami. Ooh. And then they just, and then they did a bait ripoff called Escape from Shark. I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but I liked Crazy Typhoon better. And I liked Snake a lot. Did you know there's two Snake sequels? I haven't, I haven't got to them yet. Really? I just <laughs> yes. watched that first one a couple of months ago. Now, what yeah. was, um, and this was this was definitely made at stateside, but I, I can't remember, Thailand maybe, um, where it was a man trapped in a deep pool with a gator. Not a shark. Josh told me about that one. It's great. It's so fun. I think it's (laughs) called The Pool. It is called The Pool. That's it. And I can't remember what its country of origin is, but that was um, as far as gators go. maybe? Ty, I put it on, um, we did our gator countdown list um, a number of months ago for screen drafts, and I had that on my list. I had the blast with that one. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, like. I like it better than Life of Pi. It's the same sort of (laughs) It is. It's kind of the same concept, right? Trapped in a pool with a crocodile. Better than the rowboat with the tigers. So, yep. Yeah. Um, no, it's fun. And I, the tiger, the, of the tiger effects, the, the CG on the, the crocodile gets a little wonky sometimes, but oh my God, not it's bad. so worth not it. Yeah, yeah. It's not bad. Anytime they're shooting it from afar, like it's keeping your distance. I'm like, oh, that's fucking sweet. And then trying to get out of the pool. Like there's a lot to it. Um, but thus it is not a shark. I will end with, um, <laughs> so not a shark, but since we're talking about vacation. So since I have been going cross country, um, camping with my kids, there is this quarry here in my hometown of Winchester that a number of years ago got shut down. Like it got completely shut down um, because a couple of kids died there. Like literally within one summer, they had two kids drown at this quarry very tragically. But of course, then the rumor mill starts spreading and the urban legend in my hometown was giant catfish were pulling under. (laughs) So we're swimming somewhere in Ohio and we're on a lake at a campsite and my kids are like getting into the lake. And that night while we're sitting by the campfire, I decided to tell my kids the story of the giant Uh catfish pulling children under and they will never get back in the water again to save their lives. (laughs) Like literally we were getting, I can't even, it was recent i think it was a pool or something and it was after that but my daughter's getting in and she's like are there giant catfish in here and i'm like no honey it's a pool it's chlorinated they're not a thing don't eat people Um, i don't want to take baths anymore i know i'm like i feel bad there's like a river monsters episode where that guy freaking i think he catches one of them and he's like these these catfish they they grab people and they bring them under literally i think he fished and found one it was gigantic what's the style of fishing that like noodling yeah where you put your arm in like terrifying yeah so where i am right now you can only during during breeding season but the female catfish get huge and they will strike anything that gets near and they build these like caves out of rocks like it's like they they literally construct these like little holes in the walls of the river out of rocks and they're brooding in there. They've got all their little catfish eggs. And if anything that gets near, they will clamp down on that immediately. So it's like a whole thing in this area of the country where you go in and you look at the various holes in the river floor and you figure out where there might be a giant fucking catfish. And then you put your fist in. And as soon as the catfish clamps down, you clamp on it and then you pull it out and you've got like a catfish on your forearm. And they're huge. Like some of them are absolute bohemus. I've never heard of like one actually pulling somebody under. It can't hurt too bad, but it just seems like a bad idea to me. Right, right. I've definitely, I mean, catfish, they have, they have, 
barbs and they do have teeth and they have like little stingers. I remember from catching like channel cats and mud cats when I was a kid, like they definitely have can do some skin damage, but yeah, noodling, it's a thing, but I've now traumatized my kids. So as I am headed (laughs) back cross country, I have to try to undo the damage I did with my um, killer catfish yarn. Um, But yeah, that is the (laughs) one, as I was telling the story, I was suddenly like, why do we not have a killer catfish movie? Like, I feel it's long overdue. So sci-fi get on that shit. Um, yeah, so, I'm trying to think if there is yeah, one, but I don't think I, so. I was thinking maybe what is the Larry Pheasenden one? But oh, that's a like a carp, fish? right? That's a carp. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's not a catfish. I yeah. like it. Yeah, I, yeah, that one's fun. I like the tension of that one. Like the mm-hmm. fish is okay in that, but there's some really good tension scenes, like with the motor tying. Like I remember it choking somebody, and some just some really good tense. I did appreciate growing up, you know, growing up in Minnesota, so I didn't I didn't have ocean fish. Uh, that it was a killer giant fish but that just looked like a kind of boring you know brown and green and white lake fish yeah <laughs> i was like i appreciate that the familiarity it's not yeah, fast I do, moving it's just, i do yeah i do appreciate uh this Italian made a movie called santa jaws and i and I, it's something that sometimes the sci-fi channel pl- plays during christmas and i really like that because you know it's like the, the shark hits the deck and all the christmas decorations fall in the water and there he is like eating all the christmas bul- bulbs and stuff and I, I don't i don't i like it okay. <laughs> it, it, it just brings i don't know i think it's kind of cool that someone made a, a christmas shark movie I'm saving this one for the holidays, Stephen, because I have not seen this one yet. So I've now got my holiday, my my Christmas Eve secured with some Santa Jaws. Um, But thank you guys so much for joining me. And we will be sure to post um, news on the dock as it gets announced on our socials and everything. And um, please keep posting on your Instagram um, because it's my favorite place to go to find all my new shark titles. So tell everybody um, what your socials are so they can find um, information on shark exploitation as well yes uh on instagram i believe it's just it's shark exploitation documentary and on um twitter it's like uh let me pull it up right now i'm so sorry Uh, while he's pulling up i'll say you can listen to Stephen i's podcast best movies never made um where we explore interesting almost was movies uh, right now we have uh, episodes up about George A. Romero's attempt to make Resident Evil back in the 90s. Um, but our socials are Twitter at Never Made Film and Instagram is just best movies never made. Yeah, if you dig back in those best never made, you will find an episode where I discuss Mountains of Madness. Oh, great yes. episode. Why- the Armel del Toro's project never happened and probably never will much to my dismay. So uh, yeah. That episode also has some great Jesse Merlin readings of uh, oh, yeah. del Toro's yeah. script. Oh yeah. That, that script was just brutal. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> we'll have to discuss, you know, the Lovecraft <laughs> that never was, but yeah, that script was brutal. Um, but yeah, so shark exploitation documentary, where else can we find you online, Steven? Oh, Twitter at shark movie doc. Hell yeah. yeah. Okay, guys. So be sure to follow them. They have, um, they are constantly posting like when things are getting released, crazy new shark films that they're finding and even like retrospectives on old stuff. So their socials are just a wonderful, um, accent for all of your shark love and shark week is coming up in just, I think it's coming up right at the middle, uh, start of August. I I noted it on my calendar and it's hosted (laughs) by the rock this year, um, which is just a wild thing in itself. So that's, that's definitely one of my favorite weeks. 
weeks um, where I will always get Discovery Plus just so I can have all the extras of Shark Week to go <laughs> along with it. But anyways, thank you guys so much. Thank, um, thank you. you, listeners. Uh, the Kane will be back with me in two weeks as he is finished shooting his movie. I will be back in LA and we will proceed with some business as usual um, and a whole bunch of new movies and I will probably be checking out some more shark films as well as everything I'm about to see at Fantasia because I get picked up by the transport to take me to the airport in exactly two hours so I am excited Um, so thank you guys so much have a fantastic evening and I'll see you guys in a couple weeks The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soff of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. Hurtado.